thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Let's go to God in prayer, and then we will begin our study together. God, we thank you so much for just being an awesome and amazing God. We are so blessed to be called your children. We're so blessed to be Christians, to have this church family this morning. Uh, We're blessed by this time of worship. Thank you so much uh, for the way that we have been led this morning. Uh, Thank you for the songs that we have sung. Thank you for the time of communion that we have had, God. Uh, Thank you for the prayers that have already been said and the words that have been read this morning. Help us to open up our hearts and minds to you as we talk about who we are this morning. Just bless us in this time, God. Help us to evaluate our life. Help us to be convicted by your word this morning. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So over the last several months, January, February, March, and April, so over the last four months, a third of the year, we have spent time studying the life of Jesus. We, we, we've looked at a lot of different aspects, a lot of different things from, the, from Jesus' life. And, and my goal and my hope is that as we study the life of Jesus, that we will then shift to live like Jesus. And ultimately, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians is about that, is about the idea that now that Jesus um, has chosen you, now that you are a child of God, how are you supposed to live? How are you supposed to look as a child of God? And then as an extension to that, if we all look like this as a child of God, how will our church family here at Ninth Avenue begin to look, begin to act, and begin to function. And so that's kind of the premise over the next few weeks as we look at some thoughts from my identity in Christ through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so the the kind of subtopic or subtitle of our idea here this morning is, who are we? Who are we? What are we supposed to look like in, in this life? So take your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, hold them up. If you have your Bibles, hold them up. If you have your phones that you're going to be reading out of, hold them up and open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It is a brief chapter, probably, probably, and and I say this about a lot of verses, but uh, top five, top five chapters of mine uh, in Scripture right up there with Luke chapter 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is, is right up there with it. So let's Let's read this together, Uh, and um, Nathan, if you will, uh, help everybody follow along on the screen. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out 
from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, for your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Man, I love, love, love this chapter. Because I look at this chapter and I'm like, okay, if there is, if there is a chapter, a group of verses that say you should be this, this is what you should be as a church. It is First Thessalonians chapter one. Now there are a uh, a lot of things here. Let me turn my clicker on here. There are a lot of things here that are mentioned. I want to show you a few of them, and we're going to talk about them very quickly. Okay, very quickly. We'll get there. I have a slide here somewhere. I do have a slide, right? What happened? There it is. Uh, if you can read, I'm sorry if it's a little small. Because of Jesus, I should be. That's the whole idea here. Because of Jesus, what should I be? How should I? Look, look at verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. If Jesus has chosen you, then it should make some impact, some some. It should make an impact on your life. There should be things that happen. And so he lists some things. This is not an exhaustive list. And as I'm sitting here reading it again, I'm thinking, man, I should have put this and I should have put this. But these are some things that I want us to think about this morning very quickly. We're not going to talk about them all in depth. We're just going to hit them. It says, look, first and foremost, because when we pray about you, there's something about you and about your life that stands out above everything else. And I thank God for it. He said, it is your faithfulness, your lovingness, and your enduringness. And, and, and that is some, those are some words that Paul uses over and over and over in Scripture. But he says, one of the things that I know above everything else is that you're faithful. You have faith. And, and faith is not just a belief. Faith is, a, is something that I believe in this, so it leads me to what? It leads me to action. So what does he say here? He couples it with something. He said, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. It wasn't just empty work. He said, because of your faith in God, it has pushed you to do what? To work, to put forth effort, to make things happen. And then he says that you're, we, we also are to be loving. He said, your labor prompted by love. I, I think, and we mentioned this again in class this morning, Christian love may be the greatest thing in the world, but also one of the hardest things to live. Because as, as Catherine said in class this morning, we all are great at loving the lovable, right? How many of you are good at loving people who love you? Raise your hand. If someone loves you, is it not easier to love them? How about people that don't love you? How about people that criticize you? How about people that, that they just don't like you, okay? And it doesn't matter what you do and how you live and how you act, they've just made up their mind, they're not gonna like you. How many of you have a real easy time loving those people? No, why? Because we kind of look at love sometimes as a give and take, right? As if you love me, I'll love you. And kind of what we talked about in class, and, I, and this is so true, is that it, it's kind of a defense mechanism. It's not that we don't like them, but we're gonna keep them at a distance and we're not gonna love them because we don't want them to hurt us. But he said, look, I know you by your love. 
And see, when the world says that love is this, and our love looks like the world's love, and then someone comes in and sees us as a church, and they see a worldly love and not a supernatural Christian love, a Christ love, they go, well, what's the difference? Why do I have to be here when you're no different than me? But he says, there's something about you guys that were different. Your love was different. And then he said, he said you, you are enduring. You have endurance, meaning that as challenges come, you have the ability to face those challenge, challenges and overcome them. And then he goes on and he says, not only that, in verse 5, he says, you are, you are confident. Look at verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. There's a couple of different words that conviction can be translated into. Confident is one of them, and both of them are very true. And here's the thing. What he's talking about here is I have conviction and confidence that the life that I'm living is the life I need to be living, and that I also have the ability to share that with other people because I know this is the best life to live. And I have confidence in God, and it pushes me and it motivates me to live in this way. I'm not scared. I'm not timid. I'm not afraid. I am confident, and I am grounded. Verse 6, joyful, joyful. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. With the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Let's just be honest. Are some people just naturally happy people? Ah, yeah, yeah. Are there some people that are just naturally kind of downer type people in life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are some people that are naturally positive. There are some people that are just naturally negative. There are some people that are naturally half, half, glass half full. Some people are naturally glass half empty. Um, as Christians, though, where, where, where are we supposed to be? What's supposed to define us as Christians? Joyfulness. Each and every one of you should be defined as being a joyful person. All of you, even Jonathan. Joyfulness, okay? But some of us are like, you know, that's just not my natural demeanor. That may not be. It doesn't matter what your natural demeanor is. What he says here is you become this way not by your own natural ability, but through what? Through what? Where do you say the joyfulness came from? The Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit this morning? If you do, then guess what? You should be a joyful Christian. And if you're not a joyful Christian, then you're doing what he says at the end of this, of this book. He says you're putting out the Spirit's fire. You're not letting that Spirit do what he needs to do in your life. So we should be identified as joyful people. Then in verse 7, he says we need to be examples. We need to be examples. That's a dangerous thing, right? That's a dangerous thing. How many of you remember, some of you are too young to remember this. Um, how many of you remember when Charles Barkley said, I am not a what? You remember? Dylan, what did he say? I am not a, you know, you remember? Yeah, you're too young to. Role model. I am not a role model. What was, what was the issue? What was the deal? So many people were looking at him and going, what, what, was the, what was the other guy that was in the NBA that, during this time? Um, real popular guy named Michael Jordan. And what was, what was that slogan? Be like who? 
be like Mike, okay? And so here comes Charles Barkley in. He goes, let Jordan be Jordan. I'm not a role model. Don't, don't, don't be like me. We're supposed to be the type of people that say, be like us. Be like me. How many of, the, how many of you that scares you that, that, that the scripture says you're actually to be an example? People are supposed to look at you and they're supposed to go, that's what I'm supposed to be like. Because he says here, the wording that he used, he says, as you watched us, you became imitators of us and then imitators of God. And that word imitators is the idea of, a, um, of, of striking a press or something and making an exact replica, okay, over and over and over and over again. You feel, you, you, make, you, you take and you're making um, a replica of something and it just makes the same thing. It strikes it, same thing, strikes it, same thing, strikes it, same thing. And he says, you became imitators of us. You became like us and ultimately became like God. And he says, we, we're to be those same type of people. We're to live that life. People are to be able to imitate what we're doing. Now, let me ask you, if you are the people that someone is supposed to imitate, if you're that person that someone looks at and goes, oh, this is what Christ is like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is it a good thing for someone to look at you and go, oh, Jesus, or is it a bad thing? What are they seeing? But he says, this is what we're supposed to be. And then verse eight, my favorite one, ringing. We're supposed to be ringing. Um, he says, the message rang out of you. All through high school and, and, and even, even, even now, I am, a, I am a drummer through and through to my heart, percussionist all through high school. You know, all these like, well, I can play trumpet. I can play this. I can play that. All these people that played these one instruments in school. And like, I had a whole closet of stuff that I got to play, you know, every week in band. And it was so cool and so much fun. We had this song um, that we played in band called Coal Mine. And... Um, in this song, there was a part for a brake drum, like a literal brake drum off of a vehicle. And we had this huge rusted out brake drum that weighed no telling how much that got wagged from the band room to the football field every Friday night to play four notes for this song. It's supposed to sound like a hammer hitting a nail. When you hit that brake drum with a big mallet, it makes a clanking sound. It just goes clank, okay? On the flip side of that, how many of you know what a gong is? Big, big gong. You have to warm those things up, and then when you strike them, you have the initial sound, and then what does it do? It just echoes and keeps going and keeps going. Okay, so we're in the middle of a concert um, when I was a sophomore in high school, and our gong had a really huge metal base to it um, because it was big and heavy. And I was walking from one side of the stage to the next to go from one instrument that I played at the beginning of the song to get to the other one. And if you know me, this doesn't surprise you. I tripped over the base and I smacked the gong during the middle of this quiet, part of the song. It was just this quiet, like everything had been loud. Then it kind of comes down to this quiet, peaceful, and then it's going to build back up. And it's on a CD somewhere, this nice quiet, and this gong just goes, and if a look could kill my band director, just all but threw his baton at me during that moment. Um, 
But y'all, that is us. That is what he says we are supposed to be. When Jesus hits us with salvation, when he strikes us with salvation, when he strikes us with a blessing, when, when those things come into our life, a lot of times we're guilty of being, being a brake drum. We get it, and it's clank, but we don't let it ring. He says for us to be what we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be, guess what? When, when we are struck by Jesus, it resonates into our world. It resonates throughout our life. It resonates throughout our workplace. It resonates throughout our, our family. It resonates everywhere. Jesus should resonate from us. He said, you're to be ringing. And then he says, you're to be a servant or serving of God. Verse nine, he says, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And, and, and this may be one of the most difficult because it's so easy to want to serve ourself, isn't it? It's so easy for us to want to come to church, but come to church and get what we want. We want it to be the way we want it to be. We want these traditions to always remain sacred and always remain true and always remain there. We want it to be like it was then instead of now. And, and so we have to remember, though, that every bit of this is not about who. It's not about me. First and foremost, it's about who? God. It's about God above everything else. So I'll ask you these, these two questions. Does this list, does this list, does this chapter, does it describe you? Does it describe you? Now, we're never going to be perfect. Okay, I get it. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to live it in, in, in the perfect way. But we should be working toward this. And as we work towards this as individuals, our church becomes defined by these things. We sh people should look at us and begin to see these things becoming our identity. Now, the question then becomes, what gets in the way of this? What gets in the way of this? That's not the picture I want. Um, that's the picture I want. Uh, what keeps us become, from becoming like Christ? And, man, I got like five minutes. Um, the first thing is this. There, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things, but as I was sitting and thinking about this passage all week, I'm trying to think, what, what really are some things that get in the way? Um, and, and you'll see the three of them here in case we don't finish them. Relationships, routine, and desiring a blessing from God more than God himself. Let, let's start with relationships. And what I want to do with this for the next few minutes is, is these are things that can get in the way of us being more like Jesus, but they are also things, at least the first two, are things that can also help us become more of those things. It's, it's, it's a give and take. So relationships is the first thing that I want you to think of. And a lot of times we think of relationship in a worldly relationship versus a Christian relationship. So it's easy to go, well, I need to get rid of my worldly relationships so they don't hinder me from living this Christian life. But I want us to make, maybe zoom in a little bit, and I want us to take a step closer to this idea right here of relationships and say this. You know what's just as detrimental to, as worldly relationships, is Christian relationships that really aren't based on Christ. Christian relationships that are really not based on Christ. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Hebrews chapter 10.
Hebrews chapter 10 is, is, is a great chapter. A lot of good things. We're going to look at just two verses. Verse 24. Oh, it's on there. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What does he say about our relationships? That our relationships are supposed to be about what? Exactly. Encouragement. He's got it. <laughs> He's like, and I know it too. Encouragement. Our relationships. Look, look, look at what he says. What does he say our relationships in this, in this church family are supposed to be about? And let us consider how we may what? Spur one another on toward, toward what? Love and good deeds to actions. And then he says, not giving up on what? Meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what, what, what is, in, in this context, this isn't the only thing, but in this context, what is the purpose of meeting together? What does he say the purpose of meeting together right here is? Is he talking about praising and worship right here? No, not in this particular section. He does in other places, okay? But he also says another huge component of us being together right here is so that we can strengthen our what? Relationships. That's right, Miss Vicky. relationships. So that we can grow closer to each other, so that we can have an opportunity to push each other, to spur one another along, to encourage one another. You see, I think, and this is just Matthew, okay? You, you, you may disagree with me on this, and, and that's fine. This is not a matter of, of, of salvation here. This is a matter of perspective. My matter of perspective is it's easy to get so focused on a good thing that it becomes a hindrance. Is that true? It's easy to get so focused on a good thing that it can become a hindrance. It's so easy for us to get so focused on church and preaching and worship that we forget the importance of relationships in our Christian walk, okay? My example, I guess, would be is this. If we feel like we're not a loving congregation, it would be easy to go, oh, we're not a loving church. We need a sermon series on what love is, right? We need someone to teach us what love is. Well, let me just tell you, I don't need anyone to teach me what love is. At this point in my life, I know what love is, right? Gary, do you know what love is at your life? Do you need another sermon series on love to know what love is? No. What some of us may need is someone to come alongside Gary. Linda may really need this. Someone to come alongside Gary and go, Gary, you know what love is in our relationship. Let me help you practice that. Let me push you. Let me spur you towards love and good deeds. You don't need another sermon. You need a relationship to help show you how to live that sermon out. Um, and, and, and I don't want us to get so wrapped up on we got to have sermons and lessons and classes and all this stuff in the absence of our relationships. Now, there was a picture that popped up. Go back to that picture. Can you go back to that picture? Because I don't want to scroll back through all that. Um, so this picture was taken four years ago, I think, four years ago. Yeah. Something like that. And um, the guy in the middle, that's Big G, that's Greg Cochran. The other guy is Chuck Morris. Um, 
Chuck was one of my youth ministers growing up. Big G was one of our youth advisors. And I will credit these two guys in a very, very large way of the reason that I'm your preacher this morning. Now, some of you may want to go back and talk to those guys and go, what were you thinking? Yeah, appreciate that, you know. I'm not a preacher today because of sermons. I'm a preacher today because of relationships. I'm a disciple of Christ because of relationships. Because there were people who came alongside me and said, you've heard what the word of God says. Now, let me help you live that. Let me show you how that is lived. Let me show you how to walk in this every single day of your life. And these two guys, especially Big G, are guys that are still influential in parts of my life, and they still help me live that every single day. So when you have relationships in your church family, and even in the worldly family, especially in your church family, you need to look at those relationships and say, are these relationships spurring me to live 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Are they pushing me in this direction? And you need to ask yourself, am I the type of person that is pushing people toward more positive living, or am I a type of person that's being negative, being condescending, being judging, and I'm not spurring people along toward love, I'm spurring people along to what I want to see happen, what I want to see take place. And that's a hard question to ask ourselves. But when we get there, we have to say, am I being this type of person, and am I having the relationships and the impact on people that push people toward love, and good deeds. We can have sermons all day long, but if we're not living the relationships that have to couple those words, that have to pair with those words, then we're never going to be a First Thessalonians church. The second thing is routine. The second thing that can get in our way of being this is routine. The way we live our life shows what is most important to us. You agree with that? The way we live our life shows what is most important to us. We're going to do something in um, August that um, I think is going to be fun, funny, and unique. And it was actually um, Nathan's idea, and he gave it to me. Nathan's like, oh, no, I'm fixing to get in trouble. He, he gave me this idea. He said he's been trying to get someone to do this for a few years, um, but he gave me this idea, but, but football season already started. But he said... He thinks it would be fun if one Sunday uh, or one Wednesday night or however we want to do it, I don't know how we're going to do it yet, but we all wear our favorite football team shirt or hat or something and then get on the front step and all take a picture in all of our different sports team garb and then make some type of post about, you know, divided in this but united in Christ. And I just think that that would be a really cool thing. And then he gave me this idea right before it all kind of, well, it was too late to do it. And we just hadn't done it yet. But I have remembered it and we're going to do it. Um, but I make that point because here, here, in a few, here in a few months, here in a few months, we're going to drag all that stuff back out, right? We're all going to know who we follow by what we wear, by what we say, by what we do. Now think about that in your Christian walk. Does your routine, does your routine prove that you are a Christ follower? I was 
running late to get up into my classroom this morning. I know I was running late to get into my classroom because David Albright started his class and I'm still in his classroom. And if he's starting class and I haven't started class, I'm way behind. But this is how he started his class this morning. I have missed y'all. I have missed being with y'all. David's been gone the last few weeks. He's uh, really pouring himself into grandpa life these days. And um, you, think you, could, you think you could ride a horse in a horse show yet? Or at least teach someone how to do it? Yeah. But as he's been gone, part of his routine has been off. And that part of that routine has been the part that's with all of us. And his first words, I have missed. I have missed. How many of you feel that way? When you're not here, you miss being here. Because this is so much part of our routine. And that's a good thing. Let's take it a next step. How many of you have prayer and personal Bible study so much part of your routine that when you don't do it on a daily basis, you miss it? Or how many of us are guilty that we don't do it enough and that when we do practice those things, it actually feels a little strange because it's not part of our routine. How many of you, part of your routine is sharing your story, letting your bell ring all, your, all, all throughout your life? That's part of your routine. Or is it a strange feeling when you get put in the situation that you have to share your faith? See, our routine tells us what's most important. And so our routine can lead us away from Jesus and that lifestyle, or it can bring us closer to Paul starts out this in First Thessalonians one and through so many other sections, but he said in the chapters of the Bible, verse two, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayer. I don't know what specifically Paul's prayer life looked like, but I know Paul had a prayer routine because at the beginning of so many of his letters, he starts with that statement: "When I pray, I pray about you." I pray for you. I thank God for you. Prayer was something that he did all the time. And we need to have those routines in our life as well. Last thing, and then the lesson's gonna be yours. One of the things that can pull us away is desiring a blessing from God more than God himself. Following God can come with some amazing blessings in this world, in this part of our journey. But we can't be blessing chasers. We can't be blessing chasers. When we're just about what I get, what I get, what I get, the blessings from God have to get bigger and bigger and bigger for me to feel like I have been blessed. Um, y'all, there is nobody in my life and in my world that I love more than my wife. Nobody. And I am just as happy with a car ride conversation with four screaming kids, with her, in that moment as I am a date night, just her and I going out somewhere. I'm just as excited about that moment with all the distractions that I get with her as I am any other moment. And it's actually kind of become a running joke here lately. I don't know if I love her more than she loved me or, no, that's not true. But I love her so much that any moment that I get with her, big or small, is amazing. But now Jesus comes along and he says, your relationships with each other should pale in comparison to your relationship with me. 
It's saying if we're just in it about the blessing, about what we're getting from God and not about the relationship with God himself, then nothing that God does for us is ever going to be good enough. But when God is the most important, when we seek first his kingdom, and that is our focus, then any moment with God is an amazing blessing. And if you've not felt those amazing blessings in a while, then maybe it's because you're more focused on what you're getting than the actual relationship itself. And we have to be careful not to be blessing chasers. Now, I want to circle back around, grab your Bibles back out, circle back around to verse 10, because this is where it all comes down to. I want to be all these things. I want to be these things that he talks about in chapter 1. And the question is, how do I get there? It starts, it starts in verse 10 for some of us. He says, okay, let's just back up to verse 9 a little bit. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who was raised from the dead. Now listen, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The starting point of the original list starts with being in Jesus. I want us to all be in the, uh, these are things that can keep us from coming, becoming this way. We want to be like Jesus uh, in all the descriptions, but for some of us this morning, you may be in a spot where Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath is not where you're standing, that you're not standing in a place of rescue, of safety, of salvation from, from, from the world, from Satan. And I love that he ends all of this with the reminder that we have to be in Jesus to be safe. We have to have had that, that, that moment in our relationship where I say, Jesus, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to be baptized so that I can be saved, so that I can be rescued, so that I can find salvation, so that I can find this place of peace, so I can start my journey and start living all these things. And my prayer and my challenge to you this morning is this. If verse 10 does not describe you, the rest of the chapter doesn't really matter. You have to be living verse 10. You have to have that rescued relationship with Jesus first. And so if not, please, please find the conviction to have that relationship. And then we can start living this life together. I want you to know, verse 4, that, this, is my, that's my, this is my favorite. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. God has chosen you this morning. God wants you to be here. God's glad you're here. He wants you to be rescued. He wants you to live this life. If you ever feel at any time in your life that you're not needed, you're not wanted, that no one cares for you, know that God cares for you and that he has chosen you today and that you can find love and peace and acceptance in his church, in his body, in his family this morning. Let's go to God in prayer as we close our time. God, we thank you so much for these, for these words, for your words this morning. And, and they are great words and encouraging words, but they're also challenging words, God. It's easy to get wrapped up in the things that don't matter. It's easy to get focused even on, even on what we may even call church things that are so important to us, but they may be personal and not essential, God. 
and to make us, they, they make us feel like they are the most important things when, when they're really not. Help us to not get so wrapped up in those things. Help us to focus on your words, on the things that you desire from us, to be the top of people, to be imitators of you above everything else this morning, God. We pray that as we try to find our identity, that that identity will always be grounded in you above everything else. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the rescue that he provided for each and every one of us. Be with those who have not entered that salvation relationship with you. Please allow your spirit to convict them and lead them to that moment, God, to where they can have their sins washed away and become your child so that they can have this this endearing hope of eternal salvation and life with you forever. Thank you for our church family, God. Thank you for the times we love and laugh together and for the times that we cry. Shower your blessings upon us as we continue to serve you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a church of Christ caring for its community. Yeah.